turn to the book of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13. I was talking to some, I don't remember who I was talking to a while back, and they were telling me that in some churches, and I think they might have even been talking about in some Baptist churches, uh, they have you know like we have two ordinances that we believe are in the part of the local church. You know, baptism is one of them, and the Lord's Supper. And I guess I heard they were telling me there's some churches that have more than that. And one of the ordinances that they have in the local church is feet washing, where they actually wash people's feet. And so I never heard of that before. I thought that was interesting. And you know, the same night that Jesus did the Lord's Supper with the disciples, Jesus did wash the disciples' feet. And he set an example for them. He told them, hey, what I've done you, I want you to do to other people. And so, uh, the title of my message tonight is The Need for Feet Washers. Okay? Now, don't get scared. I'm not going to ask you all to wash my feet tonight. Uh, and I'm not even going to ask you to wash anybody's feet here in the future. But however, while I don't believe that that is necessarily an ordinance that God gave uh, to the local church, I do believe there was a principle that he was trying to set there, and we do need feet washers in the church. If we're if we're going to have a good church, if we're going to have the right kind of church. If we're going to have a church that's going to grow, if we're going to have a soul winning church, just a church that pleases God, we've got to have the feet washers in the church. And so, what does that mean exactly? Well, let's go ahead first, and we'll look at John chapter thirteen and verse four. We'll start reading in verse fourteen. We're not going to read the whole story. But Jesus, after He does all this, He says, If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you that the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now really, if somebody wanted to, they could probably take this passage here and I could see where they might come up with that. Are you miserable in the church today? Maybe it's because you haven't washed anybody's feet. You know, maybe we need to go ahead. You know, I mean, you know, maybe I should have done that tonight. You know, scared everybody to come out here with a big tub of water and you know some sponges and things, and then you know start washing feet. And uh, I, I talked to a preacher one time, and he was an interesting character. Uh, you, you go to camp meetings and stuff, you, you come across some. Interesting people sometimes, but he was telling me I had actually preached a message about you know from this passage and talking about washing people's feet, and he said that he literally one time he went to the pastor and washed his feet. He just felt led of the Lord to wash his feet. I was just like, okay, <laughs> and I really hope nobody comes and tries to wash my feet. That's uh, that's not what I'm hoping to get here today. But I can see where somebody might do that. I mean, Jesus did say, what I've just done to you, I want you to do to others. What is He talking about? Does God expect foot washing in church today? But I don't believe that's what He was looking for. But at the same time, I do believe there's ways that we can fulfill this passage. We definitely are given a command here. Jesus was definitely trying to teach something that He's wanting to pass on. And the truth is, while we don't necessarily put this in the category of like baptism and Lord's Supper, 
this idea of feet washing, I believe, is something that we need in churches today, that people in churches need to be doing today that many will not do. So how do you fulfill this passage? Well, first of all, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. Right here in Timothy, he's given kind of the requirements for a woman that serves in the church. Talking about a widow. And he said in verse 9, he says, "...let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man." So he said, don't bring in a woman that's under 60. He said, she needs to be over 60. Somebody who is the wife of just one man. And then he gives a few more requirements. He says, "...well reported of for good works..." If she have brought up children, if she have have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have received relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. So if she's washed the saints' feet, we see that foot washing thing mentioned again. So is this uh, the same? You know, is this kind of along the same thing? You know, we shouldn't have somebody maybe like for example, if it's a man, be a deacon in the church. We wouldn't elect somebody to be a deacon in this church if they haven't even been baptized. We would expect to be a saved, baptized individual. Is he putting the feet washing in here because this is an ordinance of the church? I don't believe so. I believe what he's talking about here is basically when he says somebody who's washed the saints' feet, somebody who really has done the menial work. Somebody who's done the humble work. The the you know the works of humility. I believe that's what it's talking about. For example, I believe you can fulfill this passage of feet washing just by doing things like, for example, cleaning the bathrooms in the church. That's humbling work, isn't it? Boy, you know, you go in there and sometimes it's not real clean. There's messes, other people's messes that you didn't do that you go and clean. Another example of that. I was thinking about this is one especially that you know women do in the church changing diapers in the nursery changing the diaper a dirty diaper of a kid that's not yours that's kind of humbling isn't it that you know that word you know that word menial it means you know a per, a person such as a servant who does boring or unpleasant work for a little money or somebody who does menial work and in the church, not only do you do it for little money, you do it for no money. <laughs> you don't get paid for that, do you? It's something that you just do out of service and thank God people do it. I mean, it'd be pretty distracting if we're sitting in church and there's kids in here whose diapers just smell terrible. You know, and sometimes the diaper's not enough to contain what takes place. And you know, thank God there's people that you know, they watch the kids, they take care of them, they change those diapers, they clean up those messes. There's people they empty the trash cans, just all the different things, you know, doing the boring jobs. Somebody just to you know clean the cobwebs out of corners, things like that. I believe that God wants that from His servants. And the truth is, many people in churches today it's like they feel like they're above that. Maybe because, you know, they're big givers. They, you know, they give all this money. Somebody else can do that. You know, the truth is, I'm glad we don't have to. If we had to pay a cleaning service to come in here and clean this church, I don't know what they would charge. And to tell you the truth, I wouldn't want to find out. I know stuff like that gets expensive. You know, thankfully we have people here that volunteer 
that do that type of thing. Cleaning up other people's messes. That is, I believe that's doing that menial work. And you know, there's people out there too, and this bothers me, I, there's a lot of people that want to go into the ministry. I've known people in churches before that they want to get behind the pulpit and they want to preach messages, but they're not willing to do things like take out the trash. They're not willing to scrub toilets in the church. They're not willing to do the menial tasks. They're not willing to do the boring jobs that get no attention. They just want to do the things that everybody sees. And I believe that's... I don't think that's what God's looking for. I think God wants people that are willing to do the lowly work. If Jesus was willing to lower Himself to washing the disciples' feet, I think we can clean a toilet. I think we can dig up a sewer line and, and you know take care of a mess like that. If Jesus was willing to do that, there's pretty much no task in the church that any of us should feel like we're above. It doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your position is. Just because I'm the pastor, I shouldn't have the attitude of hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm the pastor. That's and people are like that though. Arrogant. And I believe people that are like that, they're not fulfilling what Jesus commanded there in John chapter 13. Do that menial work. Do the lowly work. Go to Luke chapter 7, verse 37. Luke chapter 7 and verse 37. Well, this is a familiar story, but I want to point out a few things in here. It says, And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at His feet behind Him weeping and began to wash His feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed His feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden Him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and then he goes into this parable about a man that owed a great debt. And uh, and you, you all know that story. And then he goes on in verse 44, and he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. We see here, Another way I believe to fulfill that passage is like this woman did. She did the humbling work. I mean, that's that's about as humble as you can get right there. To I don't I don't know for sure why she washed his feet with her hair and with her tears. I don't know if it was that she didn't even have the money. I mean, she had this box of ointment that cost some money. So I don't know if she was poor. And didn't have the money for the tower, and just I, I, you know, I don't know why she did that, but you know, watering somebody's feet with your tears, wiping it with the hair. I believe what she was doing is she was just on purpose humbling herself 
as low as she possibly could simply because she knew how much of a sinner she was. She knew. She knew all the things that she had done. She obviously had a reputation. This Pharisee, he knew what she, she, he knew she was a sinner. He knew enough about her to know that she was not a good person. But this woman, she literally lowered herself as much as she could, and we see that she did it out of appreciation for the, just the forgiveness that Jesus had given to her. Just out of the love. She loved much because she had been forgiven so much. And we need people in church today that are willing to do that humbling work. There's no job in the church we're too good for. There's some people, they're not willing to teach maybe a little kid's Sunday school class. You know, I, first Sunday school class I ever did, it was the boys just right out of the nursery. And you know what? Those kids, I don't know if they remember anything <laughs> I taught them. You know what was funny? A lot of those kids... I ended up teaching them again um, when I was the youth director. They were in my they were in my teen class later. I was around long enough. I saw them go from that class to the teen class, and after teaching them in the teen class, seeing the looks on their face when I was telling some of those stories, I was pretty sure they didn't remember me telling the stories when they're in those classes. But you know what? That is, it is kind of humbling. You're around a bunch of little kids, just as ADD as all get out. None of them are on their medication. You know, just you know, not learning a thing. And you know, you take the time and you study. You want to try to give them something. You want to try to, you know, you hope they'll remember something and they'll retain something that you're teaching them. And you know what? It's real easy if you're not careful to be doing something like that. And you're like, you know what? I'm better than this. I should be teaching the older kids or the teenagers. I should be teaching the adult class. Listen, we ought to be willing to just do whatever. We need to understand that when it comes to serving God, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read a passage here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When it comes to serving God, and what I hate this, I've, I've always hated this. You know, I've been involved in church work all my life. And there's always these people that are going to come along that, you know, they, maybe you need help with something in the church, and they come to you, Announcing, you know, it's almost like they do everything short of blasting a trumpet before they come talk to you. Blasting a trumpet, announcing, I'm here to save the day. I'm going to take out the trash for you tonight. And they make a big deal like they've just saved the church because of what they've done. And it's like they're wanting all this appreciation, they're wanting all this recognition. Like, you know, boy, we are really helping God out for this little thing that we did. And the truth is, serving God. It's a privilege. Serving God is a privilege that we ought to be thankful for. First Thessalonians 2, verse 1 says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our, uh, in our God to speak unto you the Gospel of God with much contention. Notice how they were shamefully entreated here. And then verse 3, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile, but we, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the Gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God with trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness." Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when ye might we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. 
But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth, I can't say that, her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. For we, you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Here we have Paul talking about all they went through. They were shamefully entreated while they were there. I mean, they were, uh, you know, they were beaten. They suffered persecution. They suffered, you know, just contention from people. People wanted to argue with them. People wanting to fight with them. And while they were there, I mean, they literally had to labor and they had to work night and day, so they wouldn't be chargeable to them. They didn't want. They didn't take anything from the people. They went and they provided for themselves. They worked hard, and they and then they preached the gospel to them. And notice, out of all he did, here they go. They go there. They show up there at Thessalonica to preach the gospel. They're shamefully entreated. They're treated like garbage. They're not. People aren't listening to them. There's fighting going on. And on top of that, they're having to work to provide for themselves, working for the people, but getting nothing from the people. And notice what he says about it. He says that, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust. With the gospel, even so we speak. Paul looked at what he went through. There, none of us would covet what he went through. I mean, none of us would desire to have what he had. But notice, he looked at this as like God's allowed me to do this. God has allowed me. He's put me in. He's entrusted me with the gospel. He was overwhelmed at the privilege of serving God. He was overwhelmed at the privilege of suffering for God's sake. What an amazing contrast that is to many people's attitudes today when it comes to serving God. I mean, if somebody slams a door in their face, I mean, they're thinking, man, getting persecuted for Christ. You know, man, I'm really suffering for Him. The Lord better have some major rewards for me up in heaven. Not looking at any of it as a privilege that God's allowing you to try to take the Gospel to somebody. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for He hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. The reason Paul had this attitude of God has allowed me to do this is because he understood his past. He understood that he didn't deserve to be saved, that he wasn't fit to serve God. He had done so much bad, yet God was allowing him to preach the Gospel. God was using him. And it was to him, it was all a privilege. I can't believe God is allowing me to do this. After being shamefully entreated, I can't believe God is allowing me, me, Paul, the privilege of preaching the Gospel where these days, I mean, if we get have the littlest thing happen to us, what's God doing to me? Why is God allowing me to suffer? Why do I have to go through all of this? That is not the kind of attitude Paul had. Paul was willing to humble himself. He was willing to do any task he often would go places and he would work. He would work hard and he would preach. He'd get persecuted while he was there. He'd get beat up while he was there. But he would stay and do what he had to do to try to reach people 
with the Gospel. And you never see him feeling sorry for himself. The only thing we ever see is where Paul three times said that he asked the Lord to remove a thorn from his flesh. And God told him, my grace is sufficient. He didn't whine about it. He didn't complain. He just kept on serving God. He looked at every bit of it as a privilege. And that's the way we've got to be when it comes to serving God, whatever it is. That I'm privileged to be a part of the ministry. I'm privileged to be a part of Liberty Baptist Church. I know a lot of guys out there that are maybe they're in churches and they feel like, you know, I'm better than this church. This church isn't paying me enough. You know, this church isn't big enough. This church doesn't have this as I'm that. They think they think they're too good for it. That is a horrible attitude. If God wants you, if He calls you to go be a missionary in some jungle somewhere where you get to live in a hut and preach to five people, that's a privilege. I mean, that is a privilege to just to be entrusted with the gospel, and that's the way we need to look at it. And that's the way that was Paul's attitude. I believe that's how he was able to get through all uh, many of the battles that he got through. But also, another thing when it comes to this feet washing, we need we need people in churches that'll do the menial work, people that'll do the humbling work. But then, and this also is important, and this is huge. Note in John chapter thirteen, we're not going to take time to read the whole story, and it doesn't it doesn't specifically mention by name everything that happened, but look at verse Let's see. Let's go to verse 12. It says, So after He had washed their feet. After He had washed their feet. Who is He talking about? The disciples, right? It sounds to me in this story like He washed all their feet, didn't He? Washed all their feet. We know it mentioned Peter specifically. He washed Peter's feet. Can anybody remember what happened later that night? That same night? What did Peter do? Remember? He denied him three times. And you know, Jesus knew he was going to do that. He knew he was going to deny him. You know who else would have been in that group? Judas. Judas Iscariot. Can you imagine washing the feet of the guy that you know is going to betray you? That's what Jesus did. Jesus did it without partiality. He did it for all of them. And when it comes to the church, I believe we have got to be impartial in how we are about treating others and serving other people. Many times people that you know they want to pick and choose, they just want to help those who deserve it. And I'm telling you right now, God can't use that attitude. And you know, there's been there's been many times I can think of in the past where, you know, I've been around this long enough. You just, you know, you can a lot of times see problems coming a mile away, and you have to do things for people that you know are later going to stab you in the back. It's happened more than once, where you know you do the right thing, you help and you serve, and you know this isn't going to do me. A bit of good. These people are going to turn. They're going to backstab. It's going to be ugly. But you know what? You have to do it anyway. Jesus, we would all if we would have read that story and Jesus it said that Jesus skipped Judas. We all would have understood that, wouldn't we? 
we had all been okay with it. Yeah, Judas, he wasn't he wasn't one of them. You know, one of them had the Bible says he had a devil. I mean, Judas, he didn't deserve it. We would all agree with that, but Jesus didn't do that. He even washed his feet. And we've got to make sure that we serve everyone. Doesn't matter who it is, not just the people we like, not just the one that talked to us, that we serve everyone. We don't only serve those that can serve us back. Matthew chapter five and verse forty four. Matthew 5, verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, notice God said love your enemies. And notice how it says that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. Is this what we have to do to get saved? Do I have to love my enemies to get saved? No. That's not what it's saying here. Notice when it says that, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you know many times people, if they try to pick out who's saved and who's not saved by who's blessed and who's not blessed, by who who good things happen to and who bad things happen to. Did you know that has nothing to do with it? Did you know when we got stormed on the other day, it stormed at our house just like it stormed at other people's house? In fact, one of our trees got hit by lightning. We it sounds like we got picked out <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, good things happen to good people and bad people. Bad things happen to bad people and good people. Good people get sick. Bad people get sick. Good people have blessings sometimes. Bad people have blessings sometimes. Or good things happen. And Jesus, what He's saying here, when He says that ye may be children, in other words, so people can see that you're children. So it's obvious that you're children because they're not going to understand it just from you know who it rains on and who it doesn't rain on. It rains on the just. It rains on the unjust. This is how people can know that you're My disciples when you love your enemies. That's the way people can recognize. That's how they can distinguish who's who. And then it goes on to verse 46. It says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He's saying publicans, they love those who love them. They do good that do good to them. Sinners love those that love them. They do good to people that do good to them. And you know, I mean, you can go to the bar tonight, and if you buy somebody there a beer, they'll probably buy you a beer back. You know why? <laughs> Sinners, hey, they'll bless those who bless them. But you go there, you go to the bar tonight, you curse one of them, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna curse you right back. They're not gonna give you a blessing. They're gonna, they're gonna give you a punch right in the nose. Why? That's what lost people do. Christians, we do the opposite. And we're not supposed to be partial. We serve the good with the bad. In the church, you serve the rich and the poor. You serve those who give. You serve those who can't give. You, you, know, you do good to, to everybody. And then He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That means complete. The Bible says that we perfect the love of God or we complete the love of God when we pass on 
what He's passed on to us. That we perfect the love of God. God loved us. When we take that love and we pass it on to somebody else, we're, we're completing the love. We're perfecting the love of God. And we've, we've got to do that. We've got to set the example. And we can do that by washing each other's feet. Spiritually speaking. By humbling ourselves. By being a servant. There's things out there that people sometimes need help with. It's not fun. Stuff that we don't want to do. There's jobs that need to be done in the church that are boring. That nobody pays attention to. That nobody cares about. That you're not going to get any recognition, any attention for. And you know what? We've got, we ought to be willing to do that. Jesus set that example for us. And you know what? There's always, there's always going to be people that are going to come along, they're going to feel they're above that. And when they're around, you have to ignore that. And you just have to set the example yourself and be willing to do that. We can't lower ourselves enough. If Jesus was able to lay aside His garments like He did and get down on His hands and knees and wash those disciples' dirty, disgusting feet, I think we can do... There should be nothing that we are not willing to do. And there's going to be stuff that's, that is. It's, it's not pleasant. There's going to be fun stuff. There's fun stuff to do. You know, I think preaching, this is, this is part of the fun. This is part of the fun stuff. But this isn't all there is to it. My dad used to try to teach people that. You know, there was always people that, you know, they wanted to preach, they wanted to get behind the pulpit and, you know, tell everybody what to do. But, you know, he was like, you know, how about before you preach in the service, why don't you come with us and preach in the nursing home? You know that's not as exciting. Some of the nursing homes we would go to then. I remember the you go there and you'd be preaching, and most of them are sleeping, and the ones that aren't sleeping look like they had no idea what was going on. Sometimes they'd be talking while you're talking and doing their own thing. You know it was it was kind of humbling. So you know what he would if if people wouldn't weren't willing to preach at the nursing home, my dad wouldn't let them preach in the main service. If they weren't willing to go, you know, if they weren't, you know, some people they wanted to sing the special. They always wanted to do the Sunday morning time when the biggest crowds were there. It's like you know, why don't you do Sunday night or Wednesday night? You know, oh, there's not there's not as many people. Not a good attitude. And there's people like that that it's all about them wanting to put on the show, and then you know, and then when they do it, they act like they're doing the whole world this big huge favor. If the Apostle Paul was willing to be just abused the way he was and looked at it as a privilege, I don't think there's anything we could possibly do inside this church that we should we should feel about. And I believe that this is these things that we talk about, and there's many examples that that you could probably give. That's how we wash one another's feet. I don't think we have to necessarily get down and do that today. And you know, if there was a need for that, I think it probably would be a good thing. If we still walked to church on dirt roads and wore sandals, it would probably be a good idea before people came inside to wash their feet. And you know, there's a lot of people today 
physically can't wash their own feet. You know, and so maybe you know if there was a need for that today, that'd be a good thing to do. But you know what? Maybe there's a need for somebody, maybe help an elderly person get into the building. Maybe if it's raining out, to go out there and you know hold an umbrella for somebody so they they don't get wet. Come to church, just things like that. I mean, just things of service. When you do things like that, you know what you're telling people. When when you go out and you help them like that, if you hold an umbrella over them, you know what you're telling them. You're telling them you're more important than I am. Your needs are more important than my needs are. That's the kind of attitude that we're supposed to have. Jesus had that obviously had that attitude. Our needs were definitely greater than his. That's why he came to this world and died on the cross. And really, that's the message that we want to get to people: is your needs are greater than my needs. And I want to help you with your needs. And that takes humility. That takes looking beyond yourself and looking at other people. And I believe if we would, if we would do that, if we would look for those little things and have that kind of attitude, I mean, not only would God be pleased with that, which is, that's the goal, is pleasing God. Not only would that please God, but I believe that's, that is the very kind of thing that would help our church grow that would help us reach more people. Because you know what most people think about churches and people in churches? All oh, those people in that church, they think they're better than me. They think they're better than everybody else. Well, you're going to have a tough time thinking about that with somebody when you got somebody maybe opening the door for you. You help, you help an elderly person out of their car. You, know, you hold an umbrella for somebody. They're going to have a tough time having that attitude. And we've got to we've got to communicate that to other people. And you notice when Jesus or when Peter, after he denied Christ, what did he do after he denied Christ? You know what the Bible does it says it says he went out and he wept bitterly. He felt bad. Why do you think he felt bad? Because look at all that Jesus did for him, and he just denied him three times. Judas, after Judas. Denied him. The Bible says that Satan entered into him. I believe he was possessed by Satan. But I believe after he did it, that Satan left him. Because you know what the Bible says he did? He went and he took that money that he got him to deny Christ and he threw it. He threw it there in the temple to the priest. And then what did he do? He went out and he hung himself. Why? He felt bad about what he did. Because of the way Jesus humbled himself. And if. We don't want people going out weeping bitterly and hanging themselves. But at the same time, you know what? If we would show the right kind of kindness to people, they're going to have a tough time talking bad about this church. They're going to have a tough time saying things like that when we've shown them real, true Christ-like love. And that's what we need to work. I believe we need to work on that, and I believe God will use that in a great way. So let's all stand together.